The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode features a series of interviews from Anime Milwaukee 2022. My first convention in two years, it gave me an opportunity to talk with voice actors from across the franchise. Characters like Dr. Zed, Detective Decker, and Karen are all represented. If you still want more, you'll find some outtakes at the end and a link to a recap stream in the episode description. Thanks. Hi folks, before we get started, if you're wondering why the voices in this episode sound a little muffled, it's because Milwaukee had a pretty strict mask mandate when this was recorded back in February. Thanks for understanding. Our first guest is Billy Kometz, who has several roles in Pokemon Journeys. Alright, my name is Steven, I'm from an organization called PokePress. Billy, how'd you get into voice acting? Uh, so I got into voice acting from a uh, musical theater standpoint, actually. So I started out, uh, let's see, I got, I booked Aladdin in the Aladdin Musical Spectacular around 2015. And I was super excited about that because I got to come to California and I had wanted to do voiceover since I was in third grade. Uh, so I was really excited to get out of here. And as soon as I did, I just started taking a lot of classes and I started meeting people doing that. And uh, I eventually uh, met up with some casting directors that started to throw me some auditions. And, um, yeah, that's how it pretty much started. All right. And you've had a number of roles. Obviously, we're most interested in the Pokemon ones. How did you end up working on that show? Uh, so I, Lisa Ortiz is uh, the director and uh, brought me in on the Pokemon series, which I was so, so excited about because I remember, I think... Pokemon was technically the first anime that I ever actually watched, and I used to be obsessed uh, when Red and Blue came out. I was, uh, I remember I used to pretend to be sick to, so I could stay home and just play that game. My mom figured it out after a while, but yeah, I was, I was a huge, huge Pokemon fan. So yeah, when I got to uh, join the show, it was just a huge, huge um, thing that my childhood self just went crazy over, so... <laughs> Okay, and uh, one of your your roles there is you're the voice of the Rotom phone. How did, what's your kind of your approach to that? Um, so the Rotom phone was a lot of fun. It was just pretty much me trying to be as computery as I possibly can, and it's it's definitely a hard job uh, because pronunciations it's it's a lot. There's a lot of Pokemon to try and remember and get all this. So it's always trying to figure out uh, how to say it properly, and then just being as robotic as I possibly can. But I remember, yeah, there was this one time, uh, the first time I got to be the Rotom phone, and then I went to Ireland for a convention and found out that I said, I'm, I'm going to say it wrong now, probably, uh, Venusaur or Venusaur, whatever one I said, it was wrong. And they were like, we need to get this done now. So I had to look up a studio in Ireland while I was there and have the company sign an NDA and stuff because the stuff wasn't out yet. Um, and I just had to say the whole uh, Venusaur or Venusaur uh, <laughs> um, Rotom bit again and send that to L.A. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy, but it's, it's a lot of fun to be the Rotom phone. 
Yeah, and how much of that is, is your voice? Do they do any, like, digital processing to make it sound more computerized, or...? You know, I am not sure if they do any processing. I feel like they probably do a little bit of processing on it, uh, just so that it feels like it's coming out of a phone-like device. Uh, but yeah, the cadence and all that stuff is just me being robot-y. Okay, well, another character you've played is Ren. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? Uh, Ren is so fun. I love Ren so much. I love characters that are just goofy and silly, but he's also very smart, but just completely, uh, just in his element of, I work in an office, I love Pokemon. Um, I also love that he gets terrified and just, uh, picked on by Gengar a lot because, uh, Gengar is one of my faves and is one of my, uh, sister's faves and she has a two-year-old and a three-month-old right now. <laughs> and, uh, I bought them, like, a big Gengar stuffed animal for Christmas and I just love that. All right, well, let's move on to one of your other more recent roles. In, uh, last year's Secrets of the Jungle, you played Dr. Zed, which, spoiler alert for the folks at home, <laughs> is the heavy of the movie. Not a good guy. <laughs> no. He kind of has this a little bit of a split personality where he, you know, tries to at least for the first two thirds or so of the movie put up a good facade, and then in the end he kind of goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. What was kind of your approach to that character? Uh, Doctor Zed was a blast. He's one of those bad guys where you know he's the bad guy. Just like he just kind of looks evil, and you just don't trust him right in the beginning. But it's uh, it's tricky as an actor because you don't want to. You don't want to play into it too early. You want to kind of like keep him guessing a little bit. So, uh, when he does, uh, kind of give you his whole spiel of what he's up to and what his true intentions are, um, it's, it's, it's it was a lot of fun to just kind of go off in that route because he goes, he gets manic towards the end of the movie and he just goes ballistic. It's always fun to be the villain. It really is a lot of fun to be the bad guy, uh, and to just be, completely different from yourself and to be really evil and dr zed definitely gave me an opportunity to do that i thought he was a real fun twist um and i had a blast with it yeah he actually you know on screen is responsible for the deaths of a couple of the the characters the parent uh, parents of coco mm-hmm. um when you first found out about that or read that what was kind of your reaction to that being in a pokemon movie the I'm always surprised by the Pokemon movies because they're not afraid to go there. Like, there's some pretty big themes in, like, the early stuff that I saw when I was in elementary school, like, uh, the Mewtwo ones and stuff. I was like, this is, like, about some heavy stuff. And I remember thinking that, too, with, uh, with this one. I was like, these are some pretty heavy themes, uh, that's going on with, like, the whole death of the parents and stuff. And he just has absolutely no remorse for that. And he's just willing to do whatever it is to see his vision through. Yeah, they've definitely been taking some risks with uh, the newer movies and, you know, even with the games with Arceus coming out. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, over the last couple of years, we've been going through the COVID-19 pandemic. How has that affected your work? So when COVID first happened, there was kind of this mad scramble in the voiceover industry where the place where you had to have, where you just have your setup to do your auditions and stuff like that had to be the place uh, that you worked and we're just in there for a while. I remember I moved into a one-bedroom apartment right when COVID hit, and I was all excited about it because I was in my closet uh, at my old place, and uh, it was great, and then I was moving into this new place, and I had a big walk-in closet, and I was like, oh my god, I have so much room for activities and to act in here, and uh, I quickly realized that I would not be able to. I was recording uh, Mr. Osomatsu at the time, and it is one of the yelliest, screamiest, loudest things that I've ever recorded. And I would have gotten kicked out of that place so fast. 
so I had to quickly uh, pivot and buy a studio. Like uh, I bought a booth and uh, had to figure out Source Connect and buy a Mac and all this stuff. So it was just uh, some money that had to be spent, and it was just kind of a mad scramble to figure out how we we're gonna make this uh, remote recording work. So yeah, that took about a month to kind of solidify, and as soon as that happened, it was kind of just you're just back to it, kind of. It was um, the the industry really came together and worked as a team and figured it out. Uh, there's definitely a lot more work uh, for the mixers and the engineers on the back end to make sure that everything sounds like it was recorded in the same place. And they've done an amazing job of making that happen. Um, so it's a little weird to just be, you know, uh, I was just in my living room recording anime and video games and all that good stuff. Um, so it's kind of weird to just be able to, you know, see the couch where I sit and watch TV and play Super Smash Brothers and be like, oh man. I wish I was doing that right now sometimes and then like <laughs> so it's kind of hard to focus up a little bit uh, I do miss being in the studios and just seeing the director seeing the engineer and hanging out with them you definitely got a lot less people time uh, when we were doing uh, the quarantine thing but we were all very very lucky uh, that our work was essentially unaffected that was not the case for a lot of actors uh, so yeah we were super super lucky and we're recording this on the Friday of Anime Milwaukee Weekend. What are you looking forward to doing this weekend? Oh my gosh. I Okay, so here's the deal. I am very excited. I've never been to Milwaukee before. Uh, but I packed this cardigan um, and t-shirts this whole weekend because I am dumb. So I it was snowing last night. It was really cold. And if you've lived in California for even a short amount of time, your blood thins out real quick. So I will be staying indoors but I'm super excited about all the panels that I got going on this weekend. Super excited to meet all the fans. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to having a good time here. All right. Well, thank you very much, Billy. We appreciate that you took some time out of your day for this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one, everybody. Next is Mel Lee, who voices Karen in Pokemon Masters. Hi, Mel. My name is Steven. I'm with a website called PokePress. Why don't you tell us, how did you get into voice acting? Well, I was always told I had a lovely voice, and... Um... I took a class at Actors uh, Studio in Los Angeles, um, kind of a sample class for voiceover, and they had an agent's night at the end. And obviously I wasn't going to get discovered, but the inner seven-year-old was like, maybe I'll get discovered. And I did. And I got an agent and um, started working shortly thereafter. What were some of your first roles? Um, a Tony Lama Boots commercial, <laughs> a Saint Tail. Uh, and then I took a big break because I was going to be a banker and go to law school. Um, but when that was starting to maybe not be a thing, I, um, roles would be Sheen Koo in Rosen Maiden, uh, Yuki Cross in Vampire Night, and then Reen Tosaka in the Fate series. Okay, well, as far as the Pokemon franchise, uh, your sort of uh, place in that is that you voice Karen in the Pokemon Masters mobile app. Well, yes. What was that like? How did you get that job, first of all? Uh, thank you, Richard Epcar, who is the director, and also my co-star for quite a lot of anime as well as Mortal Kombat. And um, they brought me in to read, and the rest is history. Were you familiar with the character? Have you played the games? or? <laughs> yes. I, I do live on planet Earth. Just kidding. <laughs> but Pokemon is uh, fairly recognizable. What was sort of your approach to the character? Well, voiceover and voice acting is very much a director's medium. And so um, you kind of dial in the voice with the director 
And sometimes you make it higher, sometimes you make it lower. And the rhythm and the, and, and the ebb and flow of the character, and once you get it what we call dialed in, then you just have fun and you do the lines. And what are some of your more recent roles in anime and other things? Um, wow, uh, some, a couple of things that haven't come out yet, but uh, Demon Slayer, this little franchise that's been doing okay. I play the white-haired guide, uh, as well as Magia. I'm trying to think, there's two animes I can't talk about just yet, but uh, that's what's still going strong, uh, is the Fate series. We've recorded uh, all three movies. Um, the second one and the third one of the Fate series um, during the pandemic. So at home, it was very new, but Tony Oliver is an incredible director, and I got to uh, be in a movie with one of my favorite co-stars ever, Christina V. We are in Hunter Hunter together, Miraculous Ladybug, as well as the Fate series. And we're recording this on Friday of NMA Milwaukee weekend, so there's still a lot to go. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Um, you know, just this is my first day back after two years, so in person in a convention. I've done some online conventions, but just seeing the sparkling eyes of people that um, appreciate my work and just connecting with human beings, it's kind of a big thing after we've been kind of locked down for a couple of years. All right, well, thank you for spending some time with us. Oh, you're so welcome. Now we have Martha Harms, who voiced a few characters during the Sun and Moon era. Yeah. Hi, Stephen. Hey, so, yeah, I'm Stephen. I'm from an organization called Poker Press. First of all, I don't know if we went over exactly how you got into voice acting. Do you want to briefly summarize that? Sure, yeah. I started um, acting in theater, and I went to college for theater in Dallas, Texas at SMU, Southern Methodist University. And when I was done with my degree there, I stayed in Dallas, and I intended to pursue theater and commercial acting and TV and film. And my agent sent me to Funimation, and I did my first jobs with Funimation back in 2009, I believe was when I started. And I worked my way from smaller roles to bigger roles, and then I started auditioning for video games as well in the companies around town. And as far as Pokemon goes, your, your major role there is that for the last couple of years you've been doing the voice of Officer Jenny. So uh, how do you end up in that role? Yeah, you know, that's actually not true. I have done Officer Jenny, but I really just finished out a season with her. Um, I believe it was during Sun and Moon. Mm -hmm. I live in New York now, so I moved to New York five and a half years ago. And I met some of the great people at DoArt that do Pokemon. And um, it was a recommendation for a voice match for the actress who had done Officer Jenny before me. She was moving to Korea, I believe. And um, they just needed someone to finish out the season. And I was a pretty good match for it. But maybe not exactly what they would have put in the role. Um, I have other strengths. So they, I haven't been doing Officer Jenny for the last few years, to okay. make a correction on that. Thanks, appreciate that. I have loved working on Pokemon. I did, I got to do the voice of a Pokemon named Dupiter, and I had a whole episode, which was really fun and really hard to do actually and I had a great director on that Lisa Ortiz directed me for that whole episode it took a couple days a couple sessions so I loved working with Pokemon and then I got to do the Power of Us movie and I'm a pretty big character in that named Mia so yeah so I'm really thankful for the work I've gotten to do and I hope to do more with them too in the future
Hey, you said you did a voice of a Pokemon. It's like how you making choices to build character and oh, show emotion when you only have one word. How that works? That what well, it was hard. It was it was a challenge, but I loved it. And Lisa was a great director. It was hard. So my character was. I, luckily, I had a cool name to work with. My character's name is Jupiter. So I was like, okay, how can we break down Jupiter? You could say stupid, which sounds like stupid. <laughs> you could do pitter, which is kind of fun for a spider. It, it was a water bug. It was a little、um, water bug spider character. So like pitter, pitter, pitter.、Um, you could do pit, you know, kind of like pit. You could do do, you know, or like dirt. So there's, the, I loved playing with those syllables. And Lisa, so what helped the most was she, you know, because as my brain's doing it, I'm trying to say them exactly right, like pid, you know, dirt. She's like, you gotta, you gotta relax your mouth. She, it's a monster. It's not a human. So you gotta make monster sounds. You gotta make animal. I guess animal sounds more. So just relax and like, don't worry about enunciation. And that was the best tip I got for that. But it's hard because the script. There's no script. You know, there's there is a script. There's cues. So all you're doing are reactions, and that was a first for me. Where I was like, oh, oh, I've got no lines here, and and no indication of what to say. I just get to make it up. So it was really, really fun. It was challenging, but it, that's why it took two sessions, to be honest, because I'd never done it. I had to retrain my brain. And as I understand it, you're from、uh, the Milwaukee area, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. What's it like coming back? Have you have you you were here two years ago? Yes. And、uh, obviously, then the pandemic hit. Have you had a chance to come around here since then? Is your first time, or how has that worked out for you? I since COVID hit in March 2020. The first time I came back was last summer to visit family, and we had、um, a memorial for my grandmother last summer, and so I got to come and see to see some family then. This is my First time coming back to Milwaukee to work, and I'm hoping to do more. You know, now that my family and I are vaccinated and getting boosted, and it's just a different circumstances now. So yeah, I love being here. I get to see my brothers and my dad and my grandpa and aunts and uncles and nephews. It's wonderful. Up next is Johnny Young Bosch. He's best known for his work on Power Rangers, but also had a role in Pokemon Origins. So one of your bigger roles was as a Black Power Ranger,、uh, which you auditioned for when you were like I guess you must have only been eighteen or nineteen, looking up the dates. How did this early experience shape your career going forward? It it gave me a career. That was the start of it. It、uh, basically proved to me that dreams do come true. Um, I remember just、uh, always wanting to become like an action star. Just wanted to do martial arts on film, and forever everyone would tell me, "Stop wasting your time. Don't do this. Why are you even trying to do that? People like us from Texas, whatever, we don't get to do these things. So get a real career." But I couldn't let it go. I was like, "I really want to do this," and I saw an opportunity, and there's an audition. I went. Thankfully, I booked it, and that basically kind of like put me in the right direction. I have a question. So, how did it happen? How did you how how did you audition? How was the story? What was the story of auditioning? Yes. Well, I was I stu I was studying Shaolin Kung Fu at the time, and my instructor saw in the newspaper that they were looking for new Power Rangers. I mean, it didn't say if it was stunt people or anything; it just said looking for new Rangers. 
and there's like a, basically an open cattle call audition, so thousands of people can show up. Doesn't matter who you are, you can just show up. And um, they did that not just in Texas, but they did this all over the place. Um, and so I showed up, and there were thousands of people there. And at first, they just brought us all in, and they chose us based on looks. You know, they're like, "Okay, you, you, you can stay. The rest, you go home." And then we had to show off our ability, which you either had to be a martial artist or a gymnast or a dancer. And I was a martial artist, but could also do acrobatics. And so I did some of that, and then they gave me a piece of paper, and they told me, all right, come back in a couple hours, and you're going to have to do some monologue. And so I came back, and I did a monologue, and that was it. They were like, all right, goodbye, thank you. And so I went home, and then I went off and registered to go to college, and I was at college and ready to go. And then I got a phone call that was like, hey, they want you to audition again, do a callback audition in California. I was in Texas at this time. And so I flew out to California and auditioned again in a series of auditions with various other people that they were trying to see who works together well or who, you know, pairing us up by, well, race there, you know, and what color are we going to be, right? And so, yeah, eventually at that end of that audition, they were like, all right, well, you three are going to be our, our new rangers, which was really weird because we were in a, cr a group of other people that were auditioning. And we're just sitting there, all right, are you three? You're going to be our new uh, Rangers. And everybody else was like, ah! we're like, yeah, it was so weird. It was really weird. It's like, couldn't you just bring us in separately and not do this in front of these people? This is really, really strange. But uh, yeah, that was, that was basically what it was like. And then it was just a madhouse then. It's like, all right, guess what? You start work now, you know? And, it, and then it was like, you know, wardrobe fittings. And it's like rehearsing the, like a fight and see if we can do choreography. And then, yeah, it just, just took off and it started going. So then how did you move into voice acting? All right, let's see. Uh, short version is Power Rangers. It's kind of a short version, but on Power Rangers, there's a stunt crew, the Japanese stunt guys, uh, Alpha Stunts. Um, and they wanted to shoot an action film, Kuichi Sakamoto. And those guys were like, oh, we want to shoot an action film. And so they cast me as the lead because I could do my own martial arts. Um, the camera they had was Japanese, but the sound equipment wasn't, and so for some reason that did not work together. Um, I'm not sure why, but I had to go in and basically dub myself over this movie. And so as I was dubbing myself, a producer walked in, heard my voice, and said, hey, you got a good hero voice, and then asked me to come audition for some anime. And I auditioned for Trigun, and I booked that role. And that basically opened the doors, and people were like, oh, we heard you in Trigon, will you audition for this? Or we heard you in that, will you audition for that? And, it, and then just became a thing. And that was like the early rise of anime, when anime was starting to become a thing. So I was very fortunate at the time. Speaking of your voice acting, um, if, I, if my sources are correct, you played, uh, in Pokemon Origins, you played the role of Brock, is that correct? That is correct. How did you end up with that role? I auditioned. <clears throat> Yeah, it was just something I think I think it was an audition. I think I auditioned for two characters and and that was the one that I, I booked. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what was your approach to the character? I didn't know a whole lot about Pokemon. And so I had to look up as much as I could and you know, there wasn't a whole lot for my character to do to begin with. So I was in a kind of a safe area. He didn't he it wasn't about him. You know, he was just there for a little bit, um, so it, it wasn't something that I really needed to do too much research on. Hmm. Typically, if I know that I'm leading a role um, for something that's been around, I would do a lot of research, you know, or as much as I can, um, if there's anything out there. 
Black Clover, for example. I had to look that up once I found out I was going to be doing the voice. And, and so I was like, oh, i got to find what's been done, who's this character, who's this person, so I can kind of tap into it early, you know. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's how I cheat. <laughs> I, I try to do as much research as I can, you know. Um, like like Giyu in, in Demon Slayer, you know, is another one where I started to look up and found out some things that I was like, oh, I didn't want to know that yet. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, you know, but you get to find out some things and you're like, all right, so I see a direction. So for me as an actor, I'm like, I see where he's going to be later, you know, so that I can kind of figure out how I'm going to get there. You know, the voice may not change, but there might be some things that will change, you know, like with Ichigo, it was like, well, he didn't know how to control his power at first, but eventually he does, you know, by the end of the 60 episodes or whatnot. And so you build that arc in the voice, you know, if that makes sense. Okay. You mentioned Demon Slayer. Did you have a role in that movie that came out last year? Yes, I said two words. <laughs> Gyu is is a, he's 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 more action than he is talk. So because uh, <laughs> when he shows up, or at least when he's shown up, it's always something like, "Oh, that didn't take long," <laughs> you know. Um, but and I love it, and I know. I mean, there's there's of course stuff to come later, but uh, he didn't say much in the in the movie. I think it was. Uh, is that so? I think that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. With a driving beat and dramatic vocals, holding out for a hero makes a great trailer song. In the case of Detective Pikachu, it's used to showcase the more action-packed elements of the film. The shots from the roundhouse, the lab, and the climax of the movie, the music helps sell that this isn't simply a low-key crime story. There are lyrical parallels as well. The hook of the song responds to Tim's statement that he doesn't need a Pokemon, and the trailer makes a fairly obvious use of Like a Fire in My Blood. To be honest though, they could have gone even further, as Someone Somewhere Watching Me is definitely true for our heroes, and the references to Thunder and Lightning are just begging to be used. Then again, there's only so much you can fit in a trailer. In any case, what are your thoughts on this pairing? Be sure to let us know. Thanks. Now, here's Griffin Burns, a musician and voice actor you might recognize from Pokemon Masters. Yes, are you ready, Griffin? Uh, am I ready? <laughs> I am I'm ready. Well, let, let's start from the top then. Uh, sure. How'd you get into voice acting? I got involved 12 years ago. I moved to Los Angeles in 2010. I landed a voiceover role by chance. I kind of fell into... Uh, the career. I was pursuing music at the time, got an audition through a casting site called LA Casting, booked it. It was the very first audition I ever did that booked it. Had the light bulb moment of like, wow, this is amazing work. And uh, then I started pursuing it full force. You said you actually had started in music. What instruments did you play? I play guitar. I started on piano when I was a kid. My parents forced me to play. <laughs> I quit that at 11, picked up the guitar, played in garage bands, covered a lot of pop punk, and then started creating my own original music. Uh, and I played in bands till I was, I don't know, early college. And now I'm in a, currently in a band called New New Girlfriend, and we mm -hmm. per, uh, I performed last night and played some of their songs. Right. So, yeah. with you having, being in a band, having yeah. that love for music, how was it being on a show like JoJo Bizarre Adventure, who is oh. everything music? <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a really cool tie. Um, 
I, I am aware that a lot of the characters' names are pulled directly from famous bands. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I'm also half Italian. So in the show, so it's, it feels like such a perfect fit for me to be on JoJo's, the Italian background and the music background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of your voice acting roles is you play Hilbert in the Pokemon Masters EX game yeah. app. Yeah. And uh, just in case folks don't know, that's the default name of the male protagonist in Pokemon Black and White. Yeah. How'd you get that role? I booked that through a company called BangZoom, which is uh, in Los Angeles. And typical as uh, all my other roles, um, I was given sides or, uh, you know, a script. And I, I, I read for it and uh, got picked. Uh, luck of the draw. <laughs> <laughs> How familiar were you with the character beforehand? I was not familiar at all. Um, I, I actually didn't grow up doing, or, you know, having Pokemon cards or anything like that. So I didn't know much. Hmm. Somehow you avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I, had, I had a lot of other uh, hobbies. I collected Beanie Babies, thinking I would get rich off of those. Uh, I did Pogs. Uh, I was really into skateboarding. I had f definitely some, some, uh, there were some fads that I was a part of. Yo-yos. But no, Pokemon I didn't get into. I don't know why. I missed it. Since you've worked in video games and anime extensively, yeah. which, which is weirder, hearing your voice in a movie or TV show or hearing your voice while you're playing a video game? <laughs> Probably a video game, because normally with a video game, it's like out of nowhere. Y your character might be just running, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, <laughs> or, or, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it'll do a cutscene, and it's like, remember, comrade, one day I will conquer the world, and you're like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't quite see that coming. <laughs> Whereas in anime, you know the plot, so you're like, oh, I'm going to say something in just a moment. So you're part of a whole lot of fandoms and yeah. a lot of uh, like different properties. Is there a property that you are not part of it that you would love to be part of? Oh, that's a good question. Um... I love. I mean, I don't think there would be a place for me in these franchises, but like, I love Tomb Raider. I think Uncharted's really cool. I like Zelda. Um, the Last of Us is bad. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, if I got in those, that'd be so cool. Even if it was just like some background character. <laughs> yeah. We're recording this on uh, Saturday evening at Anime Milwaukee. Uh, what have you done so far? What are you looking forward to? Uh, what have I done so far? I've done a Genshin Impact panel yesterday. I performed, I played 10 songs last night, nice. uh, original music covers, some of my band's music. I did a Demon Slayer panel today. I've signed autographs. I've met tons of fans. I've had a lot of fun. I haven't eaten enough food since I've been so busy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and tomorrow, or tonight, um, I'm going to be doing a little more signing. I'm going to get some Thai food. Tomorrow, we're going to meet some more fans. And it's just been, a, this has been a really well-organized event, and I am appreciative of being here. It's really fun. Just curious, obviously we've had that big uh, COVID disruption over the last couple yeah. of years. What's it been like getting back on the convention circuit? Uh, it's really cool to get out and, and meet people and travel. Um, I actually am, believe it or not, newer to the convention circuit. I did, wasn't doing it prior to COVID. Oh. Um, I, I've been in this business for a long time, but... The first convention I did was probably, I don't know, was seven or eight months ago. Mm -hmm. I was just minding my own business in L.A., doing my thing, and somebody wrote me, a fellow voice actor, and was like, hey, uh, we had someone cancel from Genshin Impact. It was Keith, I think Keith Silverstein. He couldn't make. So 
they asked if I wanted to go, and it was really last minute, and I was like, I was like, yeah, the offer was cool. I was like, all right, that sounds great. Let's do it. And I went, and I had a lot of fun, and I was like, wait a minute, I can travel and meet fans and, and make a little money? Like, this is really neat. So that was... <laughs> wow, it was pretty new for you. It was pretty, oh, it was brand new. It was brand new. So it's just, a, it's like a different stream that I, I didn't know it really existed. And now you're adding your band to it. Yeah, so it's a, a lot has happened in the last... Seven eight, Seven, months. eight months. Well, shout out to Keith, man. Yeah, thanks, Keith. <laughs> yeah. Finally, we have Keith Silverstein, who has roles in various parts of the franchise. Okay, Keith, let's get started at the beginning sure. then. How'd you get into voice acting? How did I get into voice acting? Uh, you know, I was uh, very confused as a youth. I had no idea. I thought I was going to do everything. <laughs> so I got, like, mildly good at a lot of things, but... Uh, at one point, my uncle actually called me up, and he was doing like a PBS special-style documentary thing, and he wanted some of his poetry read in different voices, so uh, he had me audition for it. I, I got a couple of parts for it and went into a studio, recorded with another actress, and uh, I kind of just fell in love with it. I, I guess I knew voiceover was a thing, but I had never pursued it. But after that, I was like, I got in classes, and I just made that my mission because I just kind of fell in love with it. And what were some of your first roles? Oh, I did. I was like a pinwheel salesman in Samurai Shampoo. Um, I did lots of background characters in, oh God, I don't even know if I remember a lot of the, what the animes. I worked on an anime called IGPX, which was like a race, a future racing show. Um, but I had a scene with, I remember I was very excited because I had a scene with Mark Hamill, which is not to say that I was in the room with Mark Hamill. <laughs> it just meant that uh, my character was talking to his character, and I was very excited about that early on in my career. But it was a lot of, you know, Soldier B and Student, you know, 7, and, you know, that kind of thing to get started. Um, with studios getting way more advanced with, like, doing, sharing, like, cartoons to live action and everything, yeah. and now we got right. Sonic 2, and we know we got Knuckles in there and Tails in there. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he talks about, about showing up. Has Vector showing up? Uh, listen, if if Vector is showing up, I'm not able to tell you right now. <laughs> uh, really, could you imagine that? If I'm like, yeah, he is. <laughs> I, I, I hope in the future. But you know what? It's, you know, it's an interesting time right now because you never know. In fact, more often than not, they're apt to hire an on-camera actor to voice these characters. More often. Now, I know Colleen has already announced that she's getting to do Tales in, the, in Sonic 2, and I'm so happy for her. But that kind of is, is not the norm. You know what I mean? You kind of expect, like, I expect if they put Vector in, in 3 or 4 or something like that, that it's going to be, like, The Rock who's voicing him or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, they're not going to come and get me. If they do, I would love to do it. Of course, that would be, like, a dream come true. But, uh, you know, I don't know where that balance is between we need celebrity and, like, who cares that it's actually Keith Silverstein. That's usually not their intention. They're not trying to keep it true to the cartoon. They're like, we're doing something different. And just enough of the, of the game is there, you know. And then you have stuff like, you know, in Detective Pikachu, they have Aiku as the, you know, non-audible voice or whatever you want to call it for there. So, you know, it, it may just depend. Yeah, I think that's that's where it is. And they're always going to need to have big names in those things. I mean, that's the way that's the way these movies work. You know, they have to have a big name to get people to to back the film in the first place and studios to be interested and to get space at Walmart on the shelves. I mean, they actually have these unwritten rules, you know. Like, if you want to display at Walmart, you've got to have a celebrity name in this show. Like, all those things actually exist. So... Um, we don't count as celebrity names. Uh, no love lost. It's okay. I understand where I fit in the scheme of things, and I'm very happy with what I do. So, 
Speaking of the Pokemon franchise, you apparently worked on Pokemon Masters uh, in the app as Norman, one of the gym leaders from the <laughs> Ruby and Sapphire games. How did that come about? Oh, you know, I don't know if I even remember. I mean, I think that came about the way it usually does. You get an email with an audition, and you read for a character, and then you find out like three days later, like, hey, yeah, they want you on this. Can we set up a date? And you go in and you record it. I mean, I wish there was... I mean, that's got to be like 98% of everything I've ever booked. Uh, that's just kind of the way that that has moved. But I've done a lot of stuff in the in the Pokemon universe, so that's that's been really... Really kind of cool. It's been nice to, to work with uh, Pokemon, which is a you know obviously a hugely uh, popular franchise. So, what are some of the other ones in that franchise? Um, I also I got I played a couple of the uh, creatures. I got to do Onyx and I got to do uh, Rhinehorn in one of the series. I recently played Detective Decker. It just came out in one of the series. It's just whichever one just came out on Netflix. And uh, Professor Oak in the other series. So I've had a number, and then I was. In the shorts, remember they did these shorts that came out that were like six minutes long on the internet, uh, whichever version those were. And I had a couple of different roles. One was, uh, I don't remember his name, but it was like this age-old, not age-old, but this like legendary retired uh, Pokemon master. master. Yeah, basically, who showed up. And uh, so I've had a number of different uh, roles I've played for Pokemon, and uh, that's always fun. They're, they're, those are great people to work with. So mm. Getting into that franchise, was that something that you was a... Like a fan of before or afterwards, you started diving into it. Um, I always I knew what it was because it, it had dominated the TV, and I never I, ne- I still to this date have not outgrown cartoons. I mean, there's certain ones I are just classic, you know, things like Looney Tunes and stuff like you're always going to love, and I love a lot of the classic stuff that just I liked as a kid. But there's always something on my kids are watch like Teen Titans Go all day, and I can't help but pay attention. <laughs> like Teen Titans Go seems like to me like the most fun show you could ever. <sighs> work on. So I pay attention to all that stuff. And, and it's important to, to see what's popular and uh, the style of acting that's being used in the different shows so that you can compete also. And luckily that's not a chore. So I enjoy it. So I was very aware of what Pokemon was. I don't know that I was ever a big like Pokemon fan, like collecting and the, and the whole thing and the cards. And the cards came out, I'm, I'm a big Magic the Gathering player. So I was like, yeah, I don't need to get into a whole... Yeah, I don't need to do that too because I have no money. Because, you know, I have to get my Black Lotus, you know what I mean? So it was like, uh, yeah. So I didn't get the Charizard, but I do have a really nice unlimited Black Lotus, so. <laughs> Going back, you had mentioned you have kids. Have they seen some of your work, and what's kind of their reaction? Oh, they, you know, it's, it's hilarious because they don't have a realistic view of how much, like, how, how many shows I'm in, in the sense that they think I'm in everything. Because... <laughs> Anytime there was a show where they were growing up that was age-appropriate, I would present it to them once it was out. Now, I'm not going to force them to watch it. If they didn't like it, it's done. You know, they watch one episode, and they're like, yeah, whatever. But more often than not, they were into it. So, uh, so they've seen, like, all, everything that's age-appropriate for them, they've probably seen. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean they watch it over and over. Some do they do. Like, they love Miraculous. They really liked Glitter Force. There's a few. And then my, uh, my 10-year-old now is uh, into anime, like, legit into anime now. So she's watching stuff, and we're, we're watching Hunter Hunter together now, and she's digging it. It's not ready for my six-year-old yet. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, and just when I appear in the shows that they like to, you know, like I did a character on, like, Amph- Disney's Amphibia, and that was my daughter's favorite show. And I don't tell her that way. I, she just is watching anyway. And uh, then she goes, Dad, is that you? Because <laughs> they know me. I've been reading in bedtime stories forever. 
So they, it's very hard to fool them on my voice. I can fool my wife sometimes, but the, the girls, they know. They're like, that's dad. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they go, that's dad. And I'm like, no, nah, that's Rob Paulson. That's not me. <laughs> I don't even sound like that. I don't sound like that at all. So, I, oh, sorry, don't play. No, go oh, do it. I was just going to say, I know obviously you've done a lot of video game voice acting as well. Is it different from animation or like TV or movies? Yeah, no, it's very different. Um, but but each project is also separately different. Sure. So there's generalizations for, for each of the styles of recording. So if you're doing like original animation, the generalization is usually <clears throat> that you record with a number of other actors together. You're all on different mics in the same room. You see each other. You react off each other. You get that like give and take thing. You see in their eyes what they're doing. And, sure. oh, they're going to say something else. I'll give them a second and then jump in and... And you have that, and you feed off of their energy, which is fantastic. Probably the most ideal way to record. But, you know, for a lot of anime and video games, you are generally on your own. So you're in your booth by yourself. You've got, you know, obviously a director and an engineer, and you maybe have some of the producers or the writers there with you. The plus about that, I mean, you don't have other people's energy to work off of. Sometimes they've already recorded some characters, so you do get to hear some of it in English. And you have the visual of you're already watching because the anime's done. So you see what your character's expression is, like how they're moving, are they yelling, what's happening. You have all of that stuff, but you also can get in your energy, your own private zone where you think you need to be for this character, for this scene, and there's nobody else's energy to disrupt that. And uh, what have you done so far at Anime Milwaukee, and, and what's, uh, what's kind of next uh, this weekend? We're recording this on uh, Saturday evening, so... We are. You're telling them, not me, right? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm a little out of it sometimes when I go when I'm traveling, but I know what day it is. I know it's evening. So yeah, so far it's been pretty straightforward. I had a couple of panels. I just finished up a panel uh, called "The Art of Being Evil," where I, I talk about a number of different villains that I've played and kind of what the different motivations are for them. Um, but other than that, I have mostly been just doing signings. I did a Genshin Impact uh, a panel with uh, with Griffin earlier. And then tomorrow is tomorrow's like just straight up autographs. Uh, we'll just be available for autographs until it's time to uh, get on a plane or get in a car to then get on a plane <laughs> <laughs> to then get in a car to then go home. Okay, so with um, blurred culture and the most, you know, with this culture uh, growing ever so much and everything yeah. like that, uh, you worked with LaShawn Thomas on Cannon Buster, which was. Like, oh, lately, yeah, yeah. you know, have to have a black anime, you know, a director for a show. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to know, like, tell me about that experience being a part of something that's so historical to black culture, black anime culture, and blur culture. That was, uh, you know, one of the few animes that I worked on. I mean, I think the only other one that, that was kind of like, like a black anime, I and mean, it was literally that. And uh, Afro Samurai, and other than that, I don't know what else has existed. But those, I worked on both of those. Afro Samurai, I just did uh, I like Walla work on, and a couple of little incidental roles and stuff. And I had, uh, I don't remember being in it a lot for Cannon Busters, but I, I did get to do some work on it, and it, that was an honor for sure to be a part of. I just want that to be more the norm. And I will say also, there are a lot of uh, other black voice actors now that are here. You know what I mean? Doing their thing. And I really like seeing that. Uh, I don't even know if I realized, I mean, how few uh, black actors for uh, voiceover there were, and definitely black characters. And, uh, it, you know, it's been great to see that come up more and more and more. 
where people are being cast regardless of, you know, if they have a certain urban sound to them. Because some, you know, as an actor, some people can change their voices and, and be more, you know, sound more street, more urban, more black, more not, or old or young or whatever, and other people don't. And it's always this assumed thing, like when we're playing characters that are not, generally not white anyway, you know what I mean? And like they, they need to sound white, you know what I mean? Um, it's been nice to see, like, people letting that go. And that's, in, you know, and being like, I know, if you just listen to the voice, you would imagine, like, a black guy. And that's okay. And you know what? It's totally okay. Once they started doing it, people were like, yeah, it's cool. And it's not just uh, in anime, too. I saw, I went to Disneyland and I saw the thing of Frozen, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't remember which one of the sisters. One of the sisters was portrayed by a black actress. I remember, I think it was as an adult, but not as a child. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you noticed it in the audience? And do you know how long that bothered you or took you out of it? Like half a second. <laughs> like a ha I'm just, and that was a change. I'm just saying, like, a, you're taking a character that people don't know is a black character to start. They're supposed to be sisters, and then they change as an adult. You know what I mean? And it was still like, hey, that was it. And I went, oh my. Do you know how much more we could be doing this? Nobody cares. I mean, when I say nobody cares, you know what I mean. Somebody cares. We always know there's some people that care. But I'm saying it totally works. It totally works. So. I've been very happy to see more and more of this, as well as more black characters being created in the shows as well. And that goes for, by the way, for, for every ethnicity. Like, uh, I'm not partial to anyone. I think everybody should be represented. And when I see more representation, uh, everything, you know, whether it's for women or whether it's um, for, you know, gay characters or whether it's for, you know, any ethnicity, whether Asian or what have like, I, I love that. That's just the way it should be. It just should, so... Thanks for listening to the Pokepress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Yeah, sometimes I would have a reaction where something fell on the character's head and I'd go like, Ow! Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, we have to... Lisa would come on. She's like, okay, so we're going to do that again. Uh, you need to say <laughs> the character, parts of the character's name. I really got it. Oh, okay, thanks. Put you on the spot. What was your favorite Zord? Favorite Zord? Frog Zord. That's easy. Okay. <laughs> even though your response, then you found out... I mean, I ad-libbed that. That wasn't even in the script. Oh, when you said I, that? Yeah, that was, that was made yeah, up. I, I laughed yeah. so, until like, this day, I watched it like recently, and I had to laugh at it. <laughs> yeah, we were, okay, so the film, we were shooting that in, in Australia, and, uh, you know, it, I was very new, I just worked on one season, and then suddenly we're shooting a movie, you know? Um, and so, we got the script, and I was looking through it, and I was like, oh, and for me, my favorite part was like to do any action scenes. And so I saw that the Black Ranger had a ton of cool action sequences, and I was excited for it. And then there was a revision that came out like shortly after, a couple days after. And then all of those action sequences were given to another ranger. And I was like, that's weird. And the producer walked in, well, they complained, this person complained because they have seniority, you're new, and they felt like they should have more things than you. And I was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> um, 
And I was like, well, what can I do about it? Nothing. Okay, so I was just like, all right, well, I guess I won't do anything. But I was a little bummed out. And so we get to that scene where, you know, we get our new powers, and I'm like, you know what, I'm pretty bummed out. And I started thinking in, in that way. I'm like, well, the frog is the least cool animal out of all of these. So I asked the director if he would let me be bummed out about it. And he was like, well, let's do it like the script first, and then we'll play around with your idea and see how it works out. And so we did, and that ended up being what they used. Nice. Nice. Yeah. First time in Milwaukee. Yeah. Oh, first time. Oh, really? First time. Yeah. It's a little cold. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so oh, I, I, I have dealt with some serious yeah. weather, but I, I'm, I've been in L.A. for 12 years, so this is like... Why am I different? So, fun question. Yeah. Um, obviously, we did a lot with Pokemon. If you could pick a starter Pokemon, what would you pick? Oh, like, like which, which Pokemon would be yeah. the starter one? I don't, I don't know who's, I don't know who's actually good. Like a starting one would not be someone like Charizard who is great, right? right? I mean, because that would be great to start with. Um, so I don't know if I, if I had a favorite. Maybe, maybe like Onyx or somebody. Or what's the, uh, what's, uh, what's the one that puts everybody to sleep? Jigglypuff. Jigglypuff. Is that starter? Yeah. Okay, then Jigglypuff. I would like Jigglypuff. Then well, that would be cool. Most likely to start is Wigglytuff first. No, a Jigglypuff, well, it gets complicated because then Gen yeah, 2, they make Jigglypuff oh into the pre-evolution. I love this. This is great. No, hold on a second, guys. This gets complicated. You can't straight up start with Jigglypuff. You got to start with Wigglytuff. And then from Wigglytuff, you have to go to Gigglypuff. And then if you get Gigglypuff, then you have to get Hufflepuff. No, it's not Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff's from Harry Potter. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Sorry, it's not Hufflepuff. Forget I even said that. What is it then? Ah, it's Jigglypuff. Okay, got it. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and also has a Team Skull grunt character named after him, uh, who appeared in the anime even. So that's fun. Yeah, obviously he made kind of an impression there. I think he may have actually done some rapping. Uh, Team Skull, uh, <laughs> back in the Sun and Moon uh, games and corresponding, you know, interpretations, definitely had uh, a bit of a, an image and reputation that's uh, a little bit offset and a little bit more hardcore than... <laughs> They're a special group of Than some of the other, of other teams we've seen before <laughs> and since. So 